0: Hello, welcome to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm Whit Brisky, an attorney and partner at the law firm of Malkin Baker in Chicago. We are Christian attorneys who focus on serving the body of Christ with its legal needs. You can learn more about us and subscribe to our Religious Liberty newsletter by going to malkbaker.com, that's M-A-U-C-K-B-A-K-E-R.com, or calling 312 312- You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter to keep up to date on our show or visit our website to view our entire podcast library of Lawyers for Jesus interviews. Did you know that many places of worship around the nation are disappearing? Churches often benefit their surrounding communities. So how can we prevent their decline? Today, our guest is Liz Laird, The executive director of Sacred Spaces Conservancy, a D.C.-based organization that partners with local communities to keep religious congregations from disappearing as buildings of worship continue to disappear from the city's landscape, being converted to condos or other non-public spaces, Sacred Spaces works to keep collaborative solutions to maintain and preserve these vital neighborhood institutions. Liz, welcome to our show.
1: Thanks so much for having
0: me. Liz, can you give us some background on how and why Sacred Spaces Conservancy was founded?
1: Absolutely. So just about two years ago, uh, a friend of mine who is in the real estate world here in D.C. approached me and said, Hey, I've been watching this phenomenon in our city in particular that we know is also happening around the country, where congregations, especially that have worshipped for a long time in our city, are closing their doors and their buildings are being snapped up and oftentimes um, bought by developers and then converted into condos or some sort of private use. And We just started to think, you know, I I think this matters. I think these spaces matter for the city and they matter for people of faith. And maybe we need to do something about this. So over the last two years, we've been sort of gathering research um, and finding out how quickly these conversions and these losses are happening. We were honestly shocked to find out that in Capitol Hill alone, a neighborhood um, obviously surrounding the Capitol from 2008 to 2018, there was a 40% loss, 40, 40 not one, four, but four, zero percent loss of these religious spaces. And, and so we thought, okay, let's try and do something about
0: this. Okay, well, my, my daughter lived in D.C. for about 10 years, and the congregation she was worshiping in uh, was growing rapidly, but was, had to worship in a, a rented space uh, during the afternoon, rather than on Sunday morning, because the the church was being used then. So I can uh, know about the uh, the difficulties that this may cause, and of course the neighborhoods where the the most desirable for living spaces are the ones where these churches are going to be snapped up the most uh, quickly. That's right. And therefore, right. these growing neighborhoods are not going to have any places of worship. That's right. Absolutely. How do uh, these sacred spaces as you call them these churches add to the cultural landscape of an area? Yeah,
1: you know it you think back over our country's history and and sacred spaces religious gathering places have been really fundamental to our our country's history from the founding to even industrialization and the protection of workers to the civil rights movement to today and um, protection of the unborn and others and and not only have churches served um, the place of worship, which obviously we think is very important, but they've served the good of the city. So th- these congregations um, are the ones that are out on the forefront, loving and serving the city. Most of DC's major nonprofits, non governmental nonprofits that provide social services. Were actually birthed out of churches, and Catholic Charities is one of the largest social service providers in our city, and obviously that came out of the Catholic Church. There are a couple other churches who have well-known ministries with foster children or housing or employment or education. There's also just the idea of the third space, right, that um, there's a decline in places where people can gather together across racial lines, across economic lines, across all of these, uh, these barriers that we create, and they can gather together and learn from one another. And simply put, places don't exist anymore that are large enough to provide these sorts of places that don't have some sort of economic barrier as well. Churches have long served as these places in our city and, and we believe are important for the continued building of community uh, going forward as well.
0: Thank you. This is Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm Whit Brisky of the law firm of Malkin Baker. Today we're speaking with Liz Laird, Executive Director of Sacred Spaces Conservancy. So what you're saying really is that these churches are are community centers where the community can gather uh, rather than trying to meet in somebody's apartment, right?
1: Right, absolutely. Yeah, and you know, people say, well, there's plenty of bars or there's plenty of, you know, other places that we can gather. But I, I would challenge people that, let's say that they go to the, the local um, bar, there's an economic barrier to that. Also, I'm guessing that your 95-year-old neighbor who's lived in the city for, you know, 95 years right. is probably not sitting at the bar next to you, right? And so, and, yeah, sure, absolutely. You can build community through restaurants and coffee shops and these sorts of things. But churches are one of the few places that exist that are open to all and are places where people can gather for arts programs or, uh, you know, a, a, a Sunday concert or a worship service. And it doesn't matter if they all look the same. In fact, one of the beautiful things about the church is that it encourages people of all different walks and all different experiences to come together.
0: Well, I'm old enough to remember when the civil rights movement of the 50s and 60s uh, the gatherings for those, uh, the beginnings of that movement were all in churches all over the country. This is, this seems to be a, a a place where people can get together and do that, be, um, be a people, uh, together to do, to work for democratic things. Uh, That's right. Absolutely. Now, uh, one issue that we have is that, uh, churches are tax exempt generally from, from real estate taxes. And so municipalities kind of like to have uh, these properties go back on the tax rolls. Is there something you could say to these municipalities?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's short-sighted, right? Um, so obviously (laughs) real estate (laughs) taxes are, 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 are good for a city. Um, on the other hand, there was a, a recent um, research paper, and there's actually some great work being done out of Canada on this same topic, this research paper from the University of Pennsylvania and an organization that we're, that we're very friendly with called Partners for Sacred Places in Philadelphia, where they did a study and they found that the average historic um, religious congregation actually contributes $1.7 million back into the local economy. That's, that's significant. Um, that would include, of course, you know, um, any sort of people coming to visit the church and sort of the economic impact that they have while they're visiting. It would include uh, after school or um, a big thing here in D.C. is providing child care space, schools, um, other, you know, and of course, it doesn't even begin to, to quantify all of the volunteer hours, the sense of community that churches build, the referrals that churches give for issues of you know, uh, whether it be for counseling or for different disorders or mental health services, all of that isn't even in that one point seven million dollars that this that this uh, that this study found. Um, and so, yeah, I think that um, it's it's a, an important case to make that that these buildings and these these congregations matter for more than just what they're the money that their property might bring in. They're more than bricks and mortar. You know, these are places of community. They're places of care. Another really great study out of the urban Institute um, stated, but uh, still I think valuable found that in in the greater DC area, 90% of religious congregations provided some sort of social service of those 90%. 78% provided emergency services. Now, these are the services that are the hardest for the government to provide. When someone's in crisis, they don't go stand in line at the Department of Housing. They see the church on the corner and they knock on the door. And so these congregations and these buildings actually are a benefit to the government and to caring for especially the least of these in the city.
0: Uh, we, we agree with that. In fact, we've cited that uh, University of Pennsylvania study ourselves uh, in our briefs because we do a lot of church zoning work and we frequently have to uh, convince uh, the courts that, gee whiz, it's not going to be a detriment to a community, but a positive thing to bring a church into a particular area. Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh One of the things that uh, happens, of course, is when you take a church and it becomes a secular space, even if the building itself is preserved, but if it loses its tax exemption, uh, you don't get that exemption back, do you?
1: Yeah, you know, it's it's a really hard question because for us, I mean, we just are looking at a physical space. There's a great example here in D.C. on Capitol Hill, this beautiful historic church that now is, I believe, six or seven luxury condos. That building will never come back.
0: Okay, we're gonna be talking again uh, after the break, but um, coming up we'll talk further with Liz Laird, Executive Director of Sacred Spaces Conservancy, an organization that is working to prevent churches and religious institutions from disappearing in communities around DC. I'm Whit Brisky, and you're listening to Lawyers for Jesus Radio.
1: Malcolm Baker is nationally known for representing churches and religious institutions and is providing you with a free resource to help your church stay protected under the law. This church legal checklist is designed to help your church identify and assess general risks under Illinois law and is revised yearly to keep your church up to date. Go to malkbaker.com slash church to download your free copy of this easy to fill out 21 section resource that your church can review at monthly board meetings.
0: Welcome back to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm Whit Brisky, partner of the law firm of Malkin Baker, and we're talking with Liz Laird of Sacred Spaces Conservancy about how religious institutions are integral in shaping communities. Liz, um, once you've decided that a particular uh, church building uh, should be preserved, uh, what is the legal process uh, that is involved in doing that?
1: You know, it's really different for each congregation. Um, we we meet with congregations at different stages in their life, right? So some are already sort of aware that their congregation's moving out to a different part of, you know, in Prince George's County, and that they're going to be moving out there, and so they know that they need to sell their building, and so we work with them to. Um, to let them know the many different options they have, that it's not just a developer, for instance, that they can sell that they can sell to. On the other hand, there's other congregations. I'm thinking one we're working with right now that um, are having issues with an aggressive developer that's developing a property right next to theirs, and so helping them find some legal support who can help them go through the right processes mm-hmm. for the stop work order, et cetera, et cetera. So it really depends on where the congregation is. Um, But one of the things that we really value is in our work, having professionals, the professional lawyers, professional real estate work, um, professional communications professionals who can speak to congregations and let them know all of their options and all of the different ways that they might need to consider, you know, a legal process or a development of land process or a new communications process.
0: Okay. Uh, do you ever try to get the broader community involved in uh, in preserving uh, that sacred space? Absolutely.
1: More than just- you know, there's yeah. So it's it's actually been really exciting to to hear um, the, or just to know of the support that we've received from people across religious lines, non-religious people. I think that there is a movement in D.C. and in our in our cities, I think, across the country of valuing our history, um, especially, you know, you mentioned the civil rights movement. That's a, that's a really big one here in D.C., as I know it is in Chicago and other places around the city. Um, and so people, you know, whether they have religious um experience or face themselves, they see these places as important in the preservation of our history and also as, you know, we don't think developers are bad people, we think condos are good, but I think there is sort of this desire for more community-serving spaces, and you don't have to be a religious person to value community. Um, And and so we've really been encouraged by by the support that we've gotten in our work and even... um, you know, The Washington Post and the local NPR uh, radio show here and even The Economist have uh, mentioned our work and are just really exciting for us.
0: Well, it sounds to me like one of the things that you might want to do is to encourage congregations to open their space to community events so that the community really appreciates uh, having them there.
1: Absolutely. So our work is really, there's two mainstreams. One is working with these historic congregations and helping them steward their building well. What we bring to the table is sort of a knowledge and a connection with the city as it is today. Nonprofits, arts groups, it's a a different city than it was when many of these churches were founded. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we are able to make those connections and help them think about how they might use their space to open themselves up to community. Now, granted, you know, that's, that can be a really hard question. And it can be, um, there's a lot of issues that are at play here. We have gentrification, we have racial disparities, economic disparities that we are entering into with these congregations. And that's partly why our work is a very slow process, right? Because we're each congregation um, is separate. And then on the other side, our work. We work with new congregations, as you mentioned, your, your daughter and um, others are in these newer congregations that are now considering, hey, wait a second, we need to start thinking about our long-term physical presence in this city and helping them navigate what that might look like for them um, and, and matching them up where it makes sense for a long-term lease or even a purchase of a religious space that is closing its doors or moving out to a different area.
0: Okay. And does jealousy between denominations sometimes enter into uh, the problem of dealing with uh, congregations that are uh, seeking to move or seeking to sell their building?
1: You know, unfortunately it does. I wish I could say that churches are welcome and open to each other, um, but unfortunately that's not the case. Churches are still made up of of flawed human beings. um, And, you know, some of the legal issues can get uh, tricky. Many people are familiar with what happened with the Falls Church Anglican. Um, when the Anglican Church chose to leave the Episcopal Diocese, the Episcopal Diocese actually then owned their properties. And now the Episcopal Church has a small congregation meeting where there used to be a much larger Anglican congregation. Um, so we see some issues like that when, when property um, diverts back to a denomination um, and also, again, you know, I, I think that there is generally a sense of welcome and encouragement and wanting to see the city prosper, but sin enters into these situations, and and it's not always easy, and it's a lot of listening to one another and actually submitting ourselves under one another um, and, and praising what has gone before us. And wanting to continue a legacy, rather than moving in and thinking, oh, well, we know what we're doing. We're going to forget what happened before. But really encouraging um, people to learn from those who have gone, you know, for their forefathers and poor mothers who have gone before them in loving the city.
0: Amen. You're listening to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm Whit Briskey of Malkin Baker. We're speaking with Liz Laird of Sacred Spaces Conservancy about the importance of preserving religious buildings. Uh, what's the benefit uh, of religious institutions sharing their space with uh, nonprofits and other groups in the community?
1: All right, We think that these are natural partnerships. I mean, you know, you go all the way back in history. The, the art really was born out of religious patronage. Um, there's, a, there's a natural sort of um, commitment to beauty, and an art flow out of beauty, and, and so does worship. Um, realistically, also, these are large spaces that exist that, like we've said before, they don't really exist elsewhere and can often provide um, an open space at a very discounted rate. You know, they're not charging the the K Street real estate prices mm-hmm. because they are ministries and that these are ministry partners and they have the vision for how these different organizations fit in with the ministry of their church. Um and like I said before, many nonprofits have been birthed out of churches. And so it's kind of neat to now see new ones kind of being born, whether they're con- directly connected with the congregation or not, but using that physical space, you know, to then go out into the city. It's just a really encouraging for us.
0: Uh, Liz, do you have any stories that you can share with us about church buildings who have been saved through uh, the intervention of your organization?
1: Yeah, you know, for an organization that's been around for about two years, we've got some, um, some neat stories of what's happening, and uh, um, I can't share all of the details, but um, one of the ones that we like to talk about is that there was a historic congregation um, in a very influential neighborhood of the city, and they, they knew that they were going to be moving out to Prince George's County because that's where their congregation lived, and they'd received... probably four or five, six different offers from developers for their property. And we made a connection with them, and we're able to connect them with another congregation that we call property poor. In other words, they they rent (laughs) space currently, and they're currently in negotiations for the potential purchase of that building. And it's especially exciting because that new congregation has a real heart for that neighborhood. And in addition to that, they also have some really great ministry going on with Syrian refugees. And so it's just really exciting for us to see this building continue on for the the good of the city um, and because of, you know, the connections we were able to make.
0: Oh, that's great. And we've got uh, about a minute or so left. And do you think that Sacred spaces conservancy can can grow to adjust uh, the decline to address the decline of historic uh, religious spaces uh, across the country. Uh, I mean, here in Chicago, there's some some beautiful old churches that I worry about.
1: Right. Yeah. You know, right now we're really committed to Washington D.C. We would love to see other people replicate our work across the city. Um, and to work with those who are already doing good work in nonprofits and, and historic preservation and potentially see this work um, carried out in all of, our, uh, all of our countries, big cities and even small towns, definitely.
0: So, so really what you're looking for is for groups, um, uh, homegrown groups, as you will, to kind of replicate your work rather than for you to try to go to other
1: places. Right. Right, because we really, you know, we think we're, we're committed to our city, and we know that people are committed to loving their city, and so we want to empower them to do that work for the good of their city.
0: Good. Liz, we appreciate you speaking with us today. How can people support your organization uh, and help take action to preserve churches in their own communities?
1: please um, visit our website. It is www.sacredspacesdc.org. We would love your, your prayers. We would love your financial support. We would love any connections that you might have to real estate or communications or lawyers in D.C. who would be interested in helping us out.
0: Thanks, Liz. If you have a legal need or question, you want the pr- perspective of a local Christian attorney, contact us at Malcolm Baker. You can reach us at 312 726 1243 or at malkbaker.com. Malk Baker is a Christian law firm based in Chicago serving churches, ministries, businesses, and individuals in their legal needs.
1: You're gonna have to serve somebody. Yes
0: indeed, you're gonna have to serve somebody.